This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Hey, thanks for inviting me into your home. And believe me, I take that uh, responsibility and honor very seriously. Uh, And thanks for listening. Wherever you are, perhaps you're listening in on AM740, Zoomer Radio, our flagship station right here in Toronto. 50,000 watts of uh, love, peace, and truth coming at you. You may be listening in on one of our growing list of affiliates in the U.S. I believe we are closing in on uh, about three dozen Affiliates. We just added Myrtle Beach in the last couple of weeks. We're very excited uh, about that. It's an FM station, uh, which is great. You uh, you may be listening in on uh, the podcast at uh, iTunes. Uh, you can also subscribe through uh, ZoomerRadio.ca. Uh, it's also available at Stitcher Radio, TalkZone.com, and, of course, uh, through our very own app, the Conspiracy Show app, which is now available at uh, iTunes and Google Play. So it's good for your iPhone, your Android, and now you can take The Conspiracy Show where, with, with you wherever you go. So uh, wherever you're listening in and however you're listening in, it's great to have you aboard, and thank you. Very excited about tonight's show, as usual. Uh, but this next guest, I have been trying to track her down for quite some time, and she is so busy. Uh, she, um, she's uh, always on the go. And she has her irons, as I say, in a lot of fires. Uh, Mary Sutherland is uh, an author, a researcher, focusing her work on consciousness studies, ancient history, and unusual phenomena. Uh, she's really a hands-on researcher and the creator of one of the world's largest websites on the Internet. It's got hundreds of pages uh, providing information on the paranormal, UFOs, ancient races and their cultures, sacred sites and PowerPoints of the world. The website, incidentally, is called BurlingtonNews.net. BurlingtonNews.net. You want to check it out. Um, did I mention she's also investigating underground tunnels and cave systems and dimensional worlds, and she's into metaphysics and everything. Mary Sutherland is into everything. Uh, now, get this. The governor... The governor of Kentucky actually commissioned her as a Kentucky colonel. That's an honorary appointment uh, for her work on the ancient sites of Kentucky. And we'll, uh, we'll talk about that, uh, all her spelunking adventures down there. Now, for the last five years, she has been exploring, mapping, and documenting uh, the ancient underwater structures of Rock Lake near Aztalan. Um, and for the last 14 years... Uh, she's been documenting the ancient sites around Burlington, Wisconsin. Now, Burlington, Wisconsin, I don't know. It's, it's one of these places. It's, um, it, it might be a, a portal. Perhaps, uh, perhaps the veil there is getting very thin. I don't know. But something about Burlington, Wisconsin, it's a good place for Mary Sutherland to be because they have just such a, whole, uh, a wide assortment of paranormal activity there, including uh, UFOs. It reminds me a little bit of, uh, of the Skinner Ranch. Uh, and also parts of the um, the Hudson Valley uh, that Rosemary Ellen Guiley has been on the program to talk about. Just so much uh, happening in, uh, in in and around Burlington, Wisconsin. 
in, uh, regardless, truth is, is Mary's passion, and uh, she believes it's through truth that we'll break ourselves free of our present entanglements in life. She says that when we become free, we will create our own personal story of the hero's journey, which is, uh, of course, suggested by Joseph Campbell. And uh, she's, um, she's such a person. Uh, she's a natural-born networker, and all she does from her Burlington Vortex conferences and sci-fi cafe to her public talks and uh, published books, uh, including her latest, which we're going to talk about, The Red-Haired Giants. Mary Sutherland, how are you? Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Well, thank you for having me on. I've been looking forward to this. Likewise. Ma, you have a lot of irons in the fire. And before we uh, get started, I just want to mention a couple of conferences coming up. One of them uh, is the Chicago Dark Shores Ghost Conference. That's happening in October. What else is going on? And then uh, Stuart Swerdlow up in Michigan is also having a conference, and I'll be there as one of the main speakers uh, uh, the 9th through the 11th. Uh, as I said, you, I mean, you cover a lot of uh, a lot of topics, but one I want to hone in on uh, briefly uh, off the top, uh, the subject of your new book, The Red-Haired Giants. I've been fascinated by giants. Uh, I've done a number of shows on it, The Mound Builders. Uh, and, um, I mean, even, even Abraham Lincoln on a trip to Niagara Falls, um, you know, right. mentioned the, the, the ancient giants. He alluded to giants that may be in those, in those mounds. You were dubbed a Kentucky colonel. Uh, by the governor of Kentucky for your work in Kentucky, uh, what, excavating these mounds? What are you doing in Kentucky? Well, what we were doing there was uh, we were looking for um, uh, evidence of Atlantis, and we actually found a lot of evidence. Uh, we actually found a, a temple up on top of a, a high mountain. It took us like three hours to climb through or through uh, briar bushes and facing rattlesnakes or whatever, you know, but we finally got to the top and we found it. There was um, a temple of the sun up there as well as a temple of the moon. And then underneath the temple of the sun, there was a cave. And you could see that there had been um, steps carved down, going down into the cave. And it, the whole side of that wall just glimmered with silver. Just an amazing sight. And you could see, you know, the the carved blocks, and we found statues and statuettes, and oh, and, and a lot of Mayan stuff. Really, but of course, the mound builders were the precursors to the the, the Mayan and the Aztec civilizations. Well, let's talk so, about these uh, these red-haired giants and um, uh, evidence for them. There's, of course, uh, you know, the if you go into the archives of, of reputable newspapers, you know, like the New York Times. Uh, and, and other local newspapers just replete uh, of stories of discoveries of these giant skeletal remains. Uh, right, and all yet, around the world. Yes, and yet, and particularly here in, in, in our own backyard, here in North America, and yet uh, we don't see these on exhibit at the, uh, the Smithsonian or anywhere else. First of all, um, give me some examples uh, that, uh, of evidence of, that you've come across in your research that would tend to suggest that, that this continent was at one time inhabited by these, this race of giants. Well, there's a lot of written evidence, as you've mentioned, and uh, with my book, The Red-Haired Giants, I focus on a lot of the ancient texts, and I went into, um, once you know the, the, the ancient name of North America, it's not really that difficult to start finding information, and at one point in time, North America was called Pushkara, hmm. and through Pushkara, um, 
that that's Brahman, and um, and that takes you right to the Mahabharata and the, you know the Vedic text. Right, right. And in the Mahabharata, it speaks about the the giants, the the sorcerers or the nagas, you know, the serpent people of North America called at that time uh, Pushkara. They also called it Atala. And, and when and, and when do you suppose uh, these red-haired giants landed on our shores? Well, um, I'm putting together a new book. It's hopefully be out in the next couple months, and I'm going to go in further detail from uh, my book, The Red-Haired Giants. But uh, um, these we can date these people, uh, you know, right to Atlantis, and uh, and. You know, of course, in the Battle of the Gods, um, you know, like, a, let's, for example, um, we know that Troy now exists, right? Sure. And at one point in time, you know, they said that uh, Troy was just a myth. And, uh, you know, when you go into the Battle of Troy, you realize, you know, as, after you start studying it, you realize that that was part of the Atlantean War, which was the War of the Gods. The Titan Wars, right, right, uh, and the Titans, of course, was giants. Well, we'll, we'll uh, exactly we'll, we'll tie it together with Atlantis in a, in, in, a, in a few moments. But I want to just remind listeners: Mary Sutherland is with us, and her website, BurlingtonNews.net, fabulous website, just filled with hundreds and hundreds of of pages of information uh, for those of you that are into uh, basically anything alternative. Uh, uh, ancient uh, wisdom, and uh, right now we're, we're focusing on her, her new book, The Red-Haired Giants. Mary will be appearing in Chicago at the Dark Shores Ghost Con in uh, October. Uh, so the accounts that I have read, uh, and these uh, uh, skeletal remains discovered in these, uh, not only in burial mounds, but also in caves, some of these individuals, uh, as uh, eight feet tall and, 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 uh, and more, uh, what can you tell me about anything unusual about them? Like, did they double rows of teeth? I've read about that. An extra digit on each hand and each foot. Right. Um, and then um, you had asked me earlier about the evidence. Um, we have uh, giant skeletal remains that have been found in Delavan, Wisconsin. We've also found these um, uh, giant skeletal remains. Um, in um, in the Atsalon area, which is like Lake Mills, Wisconsin, uh, over there by uh, Rock Lake. And so, uh, you know, we do have the skeletal remains to prove here in Wisconsin, you know, that, that, this, that these, um, these um, uh, giants walked the earth, and they were the mound builders. And, uh, I mean, are these on exhibit somewhere? Where would we go and see these? Well, unfortunately, they're not on exhibit anymore. We've got the pictures, you know, that was taken, and uh, and I'll be showing them in my upcoming book. Uh, this this one uh, though that we and I, and I and I actually do have some evidence of my own. Uh, I uh, you know through excavations, you know, I've I've gotten uh, 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 like petrified fingers, you know, just small re- just just small remains of these giants. But uh, I do actually have some artifacts here that I'm going to have on display at the at the Swerdlow conference. And and it's going to be the first time they've ever been explain or you know exhibited. Oh, fascinating! And and I was correct yeah. when I said two double rows of teeth and and six digits. Uh, yeah. Double rows of teeth, uh, you know, the six fingers, you know, on their hands, each hand, and uh, six uh, on their toes. You know, 
All right, we're we are coming. And, um, we're coming up on a break here, Mary. Um, let, let me um, let me ask you a quick question, and then we'll uh, we'll we'll get to it after the break. And that is, uh, you know, there. Are, we, we do have people that are uh, exceptionally tall. Um, I'm not sure what percentage of the population, but we have, of course, you know, uh, uh, people playing professional basketball that uh, are, you know, upwards to seven, uh, seven feet tall. Uh, how do we um, differentiate uh, a, uh, this group of – this race of giants from just, uh, you know uh, – Tall, you know, extraordinarily tall individuals, uh, or a genetic mutation. Uh, well, actually, that's our living proof of these giants because that uh, their their height, their double rows of teeth, you know, the the six digits. That's brought on, and the red hair. That's all brought on by a, a recessive gene. All right, we'll take a time out. Come back, Mary Sutherland. The red-haired giants right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Mary Sutherland stays with us, and uh, the website again is burlingtonnews.net. What's happening with the uh, other sci-fi cafe? You're moving. No, we moved. Oh, you have moved Actually, now. You have yeah. moved. Uh, we uh, closed that down in uh, March, and uh, we relocated to uh, Winslow, Air, or Winslow, Illinois, uh, which is about two hours from Burlington. But we still do our tours there in Burlington and, you know, and carry on some of our work. We just, we prep, we're doing just about everything we always did, except we're just not, we just don't have the cafe open. Because, um, you know, I wanted to dedicate more time to my research and, and the writing of my books. Right. And uh, the cafe took up seven days of our, you know, seven days a week, and we'd done it for like 10 years. So, you know, it was just time to kind of close down that chapter and start a new one. Uh, Wisconsin is uh, is certainly a hotbed for, um, you know, these, these mounds. We're talking about the mound builders and, and uh, the red-haired giants. Uh, it's interesting because in, um, on the shores of, of uh, I believe it's Lake Superior, uh, and that would uh, border on on uh, Wisconsin, I believe. It does. Uh, there is supposedly. Uh, um, I've never been there, but I've heard tale of of a huge copper mining operation uh, that that goes back, obviously pre Columbus. Uh, were the red haired giants involved in that at all? They were, as well as Solomon, because a lot of the copper that was mined from there actually went to, you know, uh, went to uh, for the purpose of uh, uh, the building of uh, Solomon's Temple. Wow. So we are talking about uh, the ancient Israelites. We are talking about that far back. Yeah. And it's interesting because the the Bronze Age uh, that took place in in Europe, not enough uh, copper in Europe uh, that would have explained, you know, that, that a revolution, really. Uh, so that copper had to come from probably the shores of Lake Superior, correct? Well, uh, when they shut down the copper mines here, you know, in the Michigan, Wisconsin area, uh, that ended the Bronze Age. Isn't that fascinating? Because, yeah. I mean, because so one has to wonder how the, the size yeah, of the. That, Go ahead. That was, yeah, they. The, the, we were producing the, the purest copper in the world and the most. So, yeah, that's where that all that uh, that's what um, that's what ended the bronze period. And think of the size of the the vessels crossing the Atlantic. How large they would have had to have been in order to carry all of that copper over there. And what year are we talking about, roughly? What what era? 
well, you know that that that's the that's the big question, isn't it? Um, I I I kind of stand by the ten thousand five hundred BC. It was all still going, or it was all going on, you know. Um, and what the date for Solomon and his temple, you know, um, mining the 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 copper at that point of time. I mean, that's always been up in the air, you know, as far as the date goes for Solomon. But um, you know, um, I, I just can't tell you when the the, the mining date would have been for Solomon but right. I do know that they were they were uh, they were mining 10,500 years ago and these uh, red-haired giants uh, there are accounts of them um, by the uh, the Native Americans uh, what did they mm-hmm. call what did they call them oh geez uh, well for um, the the Indians in this area called them the Hokadesh and which um, in the, and uh, and they describe them as uh, giants with red hair, and that uh, were the population as thick as the leaves on the trees. The population and is builders wow. and builders of stone, which would indicate that they were also. And we found and we have found pyramids in this area, so we do know that they were actually building pyramids and stone temples as well. Wow, a population as thick as And not as only did they have earthen mounds, but they were also, uh, they also were, uh, uh, had stone mounds. Interesting. Very few in existence anymore, but uh, the stone mounds actually predated the earthen mounds. Were they a warrior uh, a race? Were they a warrior uh, civilization? They didn't see, I don't really think that they were, but, um, you know, um, they they had you know they had the weaponry you know to protect themselves uh, a lot of their cities had these uh, walls built around them you know for protection from uh, you know the the uh, you know warring fa- uh, tribes that was coming across because there was a uh, there was a great migration coming out of uh, out of uh, asia and you know and they ended up uh, uh, exterminating a lot of the mound builders or forcing them south down into Mexico. So, you know, there was battles, but I think that they were more of a peaceful type of a people, um, you know, that, you know, uh, had the ability to protect themselves, but, you know, and uh, there was, like I said, there was wars that broke out. And I tell, and that's what the, my book, The Red-Haired Giants, is about, is about the extermination of, you know, the extermination of these people and their migration down into, um, into Mexico and Central America, South America, where how they could, started up the Aztec and the Mayan civilizations. How could a group of people that were so physically... Um, uh, you know, so huge, and, and and presumably there would be strength to go along with that uh, size. I mean, I've heard legends uh, of them being able to pull trees out from their roots, but I don't know if that's apocryphal or not. Um, I mean, you would think that they would have been formidable, a formidable enemy if someone had tried oh, to take them Oh, they were, but, you know, they, um, but we, the, the enemy was also formidable, you know, um, and you know there was more of these people coming in that migrating into North America, and uh, and it, there was just too many of them, you know, for them to fight. And so they eventually just gave up, you know, and uh, and started moving south. 
With that, and um, there was a complete extermination of these red-haired giants here in North America, or they tried to completely exterminate them, but they wasn't successful at it. But they did manage to get them out of North America, down into Mexico and South America, Central America. Mary Sutherland is with us, author, researcher, uh, the website burlingtonnews.net, and we've linked up to that at richardserrett.com. Just click on Mary's name, and that'll take you right there. It's an impressive website, all sorts of information. Uh, I mentioned uh, earlier about Abraham Lincoln. This was before he was president. In fact, I think he was campaigning for uh, another president, um, and he, he made the trip up to Niagara Falls, New York, and uh, made there a very interesting a speech talking about uh, how you know spectacular the falls were, and mentioned how the eyes of the uh, you know the the the, uh, the denizens of the, those burial mounds once looked upon those falls. Um, presumably, presumably, he was talking about these giants. Right. Now, some people have um, um, you know tried to explain that away by saying, well, what he really meant was the mastodon. Um, but I mean, are we finding mastodon bones in 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 uh, in great numbers in in this in these areas? Are they are we finding mastodon bones in these burial mounds? Well, we uh, North America did have mastodons, and um, as a matter of fact, the a lot of people make the mistake and they think that the Kennewick man is the oldest man to date, you know, here in North America. Uh, but here in Kenosha, Wisconsin, they found a, uh, they found a, a, a skeleton of a mastodon in the in the basement of a museum, and the, and they found cut marks on the mastodon, mm-hmm. and so um, so they realized that the mastodon had been hunted by you know this um, early man. And so they brought people in, you know, to do some testing of the bones, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, carbonating the bones and that, and found out, or, you know, they came to the conclusion that the, 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 how, the date of these people predated even the Kennewick man us making, you know, uh, evidence to show that the, the earliest evidence of, you know, man was right here in Wisconsin. Right. But that doesn't mean, you know, that there was, that these type of people didn't spread out through the whole United States. It just means that, you know, the earliest dating of man was right here in uh, Wisconsin. Sure. But yeah, but they did have mammoth. But what uh, Lincoln was talking about, he was talking about the giants, human giants. He was a bit of a giant himself. Yeah. And even Thomas Jefferson... Uh, talked about the uh, the giants. Oh, is that right? I didn't know. Tell me. Yeah. Tell me more mm-hmm. about that. Yeah, he was the he was basically the first archaeologist, and uh, and uh, he did a lot of excavation of these uh, earthen mounds, and and they were finding uh, giant bones in there, giant human bones. Is and it so? He was basically the first one to write about them, you know, and do archaeological reports. I would imagine, and I think that a lot of that uh, that Lincoln came across was something that was based off some of the reports that he had read about, you know, from Thomas Jefferson. Interesting. Is it? I would imagine it is very difficult, if not nearly impossible, now to excavate these mounds um, today, um, and I'm and I'm guessing that may have something to do with. Um, 
you know, the uh, Native Americans, uh, obviously, not wanting, um, perhaps they're laying claim to these and not wanting them to be desecrated or disturbed. Is, is, is that a, a reasonable assessment? That, uh, well, yeah, you, you just, you can't get into these mounds at all. And I don't think even the archaeologists can really dig into these mounds anymore. Um, you know, they have to use those, um, you know, what, those x-rays, you know, I don't know what they call them, you know, that goes over the ground, you sure. know, and, yep. you know, they can, you know, get a, a, get some sort of an idea of what's underneath the ground. I can't really think of the name of what those, you know, that equipment is, but, uh, yeah, I don't think that they can really do the digs themselves either, you know, but I don't think it's because of them, you know, whoever it is that's made this decision about it, I don't think that they're really so concerned about the the mounds being desecrated as much as the, discovering the information. Right, right. You know, what lays underneath the ground. Yes, indeed, what lays you know? beneath. And, and uh, well, that, that brings us around to the, the, uh, the Lollapalooza question, which is, again, you know, these earlier reports um, um, from the New York Times, again, I, 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 I invite people to go to the archives and check this out for themselves. Uh, correspondence between archaeologists and uh, uh, the uh, you know the directors of, of various museums and so forth, saying this is what we found and and uh, there is a paper trail and yet none of these things none of these I shouldn't say things none of these uh, remains are on display. Uh, what's what's preventing them? I ask rhetorically. <laughs> well. One thing I keep kicking myself over and over and over because I had the sci-fi cafe and I, I just I just couldn't take the t- I thought I couldn't take the time and I should have, but uh, I got a call from um, uh, this museum uh, from a curator down in Mexico, saying that they had human giant bones and they wanted me to go down there, you know, and oh uh, do a documentary on it, and crazy of me is I, you know, I, I told him I couldn't do it because I, I was stuck at the cafe. Oh, Mary. Which was crazy, <laughs> yeah. And I've been, okay. you know, for years now, I have been kicking myself for it. You well, know, it but, may not be too late. Listen, I, got, I am late for a break, though. We've got to, we'll take a time out. We'll come back, and uh, we have to pursue that. Mary Sutherland was with us, BurlingtonNews.net. I'm back with more right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Uh, we are back with uh, Mary Sutherland. Mary, this is a, a short break, but I do want to pick up on that. You got an invitation from with, this was a museum down in Mexico, right? Uh, and they they had or they are in possession of the remains of one of these red-haired giants, right? They invited you down, and you were yeah. kind of busy. But did, what other details did they give? Out you? of my mind is what <laughs> I was, you know, because I for years I've been kicking myself for it, and I even lost the email on it. But I was talking to somebody today about it, and uh, now that I don't have the cafe and I have more time for my research, what I want to do is go into all my, because I always save all my emails, so I'm thinking about maybe going, you know, doing a search for this museum, getting a hold of the curator again, and then go down there, you know, because, you know, that was an opportunity of a lifetime, and I just, I blew it. Well... I don't know. No, don't don't be so sure. You know, there's yeah. they're not going anywhere. Hopefully, but I want to go circle back to my my original question about the the conspiracy to suppress this information. Uh, these 
skeletal remains, if the uh, the Native American accounts that they were so uh, numerous, you know, they they rivaled the the leaves on the tree. We then we are talking right. about millions, perhaps millions right. of uh, skeletal uh, remains. Uh, I mean, where are they? They've got to be. They were they 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 were boxed up and shipped off somewhere. Are they sitting in a big warehouse somewhere, or in the? I mean, if you went to the Smithsonian, do you think they're hiding them in the back? Oh, I'm sure that somebody's got these bones someplace, you know, and I mean, there's got to be a lot of them someplace, and they're hidden, you know, hidden from our sight. And, you know, and it, and it's not just uh, the history of the giants. I mean, you know, for some reason, our government just, you know, it, it's like they they run the whole thing like uh, need to like the military need to know basis mm-hmm. you know i mean we have ufo sightings well you know they don't give us the information on ufos paranormal they don't give us any validation on you know anything you know paranormal they don't give us validation on on the cryptids and they don't give us uh, you know validation on you know uh, our our history you know it's just they just won't tell us anything you know, regardless, you know, if it's UFOs, the paranormal, cryptozoology, you know, ancient history, you know, it, it's just, it's kind of left up to us researchers, you know, to get out there and find these missing pieces that they might have overlooked, you know, and then try to put these pieces together and, you know, and come up with some sort of a, you know, a story. Well, therein lies, know? I guess, the rationale for, for keeping a lid on these skeletal remains because they do not fit the official narrative uh, that's sort of uh, been spoon-fed us right out of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Right. Well, you know, thank God, you know, that the, the you know, we have uh, authors now, you know, that print on demand, you know, printing, you know, self-publishers, or, you know, self-publishing authors and that because I remember a time that, you know, an author would have to write a book and then submit it to a publisher. The publisher would only take so many types of books if it fit into the agenda, you know. And um, and then if you managed to get a book published, then it would go to a library, and then the library would censor it. So, I mean, up until we had the Internet, we were very, very limited to any information. And now, you know, we've got all these authors such as myself out there digging around, getting information, putting together books, you know, and getting it out there, you know, for people to read. But, um, you know, I, I remember that time that you, it was very limited, you know, prior to the Internet of anything that we were able to read. Sure. And it was very controlled as to what we were able to read as well. Yeah, and we better so, watch it. It, can be, and then it, this, it may be controlled again if we're not careful. Well, if they had their choice, it would be. Sure. You know? I mean, it is yeah. giving them fits. It is giving them fits. The, uh, the, the as you say, the amount of information, the kinds of information now available uh, to uh, to uh, people that are very hungry uh, for the truth, whatever that might be. Uh, Mary Sutherland is and, with and us. And you're right. They are, the people are very hungry for the truth because they know that the the history that's been given to them is not true. All right, uh, we're going to head into a break shortly, but when we come back, I, I, I do want to talk about uh, Atlantis and your work in uh, Kentucky. Uh, dubbed the uh, Kentucky Colonel, no less, by the governor yep. uh, for her mm-hmm. work there. Mary Sutherland, uh, author, researcher. We've been talking about the uh, the red-haired giants, the mound builders, and uh, we will talk Atlantis when we come back right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. 
BurlingtonNews.net. That's the website uh, if you want to find out more about Mary Sutherland. And uh, we're talking about this ancient giant race uh, responsible for building these mounds that really dot the continent. Uh, they're uh, all over Wisconsin, places like uh, even at, all up and down the Ohio Valley. Um, and um, who knows, you know, how many farmers, uh, perhaps even up here in Canada, have uh, just underneath their feet are the remains of this uh, incredible ancient race of red-headed giants. Uh, now, uh, there is a connection with uh, these uh, beings uh, to the ancient um, uh, civilization of Atlantis. Let's talk a little bit about that and how, what Kentucky has to do with Atlantis. Pray tell. Tell me more. Oh, okay. Um, well, they talk about a flood, right? And they talk about the mountains rising. So going with the idea of, you know, high water level and mountains, you know, people taking refuge, you know, the survivors taking refuge on these mountains, I thought that it would be a great place to look for temples, ancient Atlantean temples. And so um, I went, you know, I knew of this one uh, treasure hunter down in Kentucky that uh, had, uh, he had contacted me about uh, finding some engravings, you know, on uh, the walls. And I looked at it and it looked like it was Olga. So I thought, and I told my husband, I said, let's, let's go on down to Kentucky and check that out. Because I have a feeling that we got, we're going to find some ancient civilizations, you know, or remnants of an ancient civilization down there. So we went down there. And, um, and we, we found it, you know, and, um, and we found the caves. You know, with the steps leading down into this cave system, we found a, a temple of the sun. We found this temple of the moon. Uh, you know, we found um, uh, uh, we found uh, uh, there was a bust. We found, and it was um, oh gosh, let me think. It's probably about three foot tall, maybe about two two and a half foot wide, and it was the it was of an ancient serpent priest king. And we know it was white, you know, Caucasian, because uh, it, it, it had, um, the bust showed a mustache. But it also showed a headpiece where one, the top, the very center of the headpiece was um, a serpent. You know, the head of a serpent like a cobra. Right. And then falling to, let's see, falling to the right, I believe, of it was the uh, the scale, it looked like scales of a snake skin, hmm. and on the opposite side was a feather. And if you know, you put it together, you know, there's a there's a feathered serpent, which is Quetzalcoatl. Right, Quetzalcoatl. That's right. Yeah, and so anyhow, uh, uh, I took a bunch of pictures of the the bust and myself with the bust, and uh, I put it in my book. Uh, uh, well, it's in the book uh, Red Here Giants, as well as my other book Revelations. But, but like I said, we also found statues that they looked Mayan. But um, and then we and then we found like discs there too that had like on one side of the disc um, was um, like uh, I'm trying to think of what it was. It was like a panther or a cat, right? Uh, depicted on one side of the disc, and on the other side of the disc was. Um, uh, like a, you know, like a, a depiction of a, a person's face, 
Hmm. Now, you, you mentioned you know, Kefs- you mentioned Kefs- a, lot of, a lot of interesting artifacts we found down there. Right. But how, uh, explain to me um, uh, the connection between Quetzalcoatl, who is you know, a Meso- Mesoamerican de- deity, uh, you, you mentioned the feathered serpent, that's what the name mm-hmm. means. Uh, uh, how, what does that have to do, why do we make the connection between the Mayans uh, and the Atlanteans? Because the, the people that here of North America were Atlantean. Uh, there used to be, at one point in time, there used to be this large sea that ran through the, the central part of the United States, which connected to Canada and to Mexico. And on one side of the sea was, uh, you know, in the California area, that side, uh, was where the uh, Lemurians lived. And then on the other side of the sea was where, you know, uh, you know, where the Appalachian Mountains are on that side of the, of North America. That's where the Atlanteans lived. And, um, anyhow, the Atlanteans, uh, they became, um, uh, they, they, right, as their civilization was going on, that's when the War of the Gods took place. And there was, um, and, and mankind was got caught right in the middle and, you know, had to choose sides, you know, and fight for the gods. And there was thermal nuclear warfare and to the point where they said that, uh, this, it's written that the skies caught on fire. And it caused, um, an imbalance, um, in the magnetics of Earth, which caused a, uh, um, a polar flip. And which, brought on the deluge, hmm. the great flood. And now the survivors were, uh, were you know, because I said that the Atlanteans were there, Lemurians were there, and then when the deluge hit, the you know, most people were killed off. But the survivors, you know, of, you know, of the Atlanteans, they were what we know today as the ancient mound builders. And where did they come from? I mean, you mentioned, you know, they, they, were, they were the here gods. In, see, I'll stand by what I've said, that the North America was the motherland. There, the, uh, right after, and let's see, in my book, uh, Revelations, I, no, Lost in Time, I talk about it. Um, and I have the references of where I find all my, my literature. But um, what happened is, uh, the Lemurians uh, set um, their people, the gods of wisdom, to from North America. They sent them to various places around the world to reestablish colonies, hmm. as did the Atlanteans. And um, and then so, and even the Egyptian uh, history tells about Thoth. Yes. Um, uh, coming from the western land across the sea. Well, if we look at a map, right across the sea from Egypt to the west is North America. It's not Europe. It's North America. So, anyhow, we've we've got more than enough, you know, um, which I show in my book, we have more than enough to prove that North America was the motherland. And, um, And, but then... Time lapsed, you know, and eventually North America was pretty much lost to the memory. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, 
you know, people started coming across the sea again, and it North America was found. And but it was kept a great secret, you know, by the Phoenicians because of the fact that there it was, um, you know, they were trading, you know, uh, the the uh, resources, the natural resources of North America were so great, you know, with gold and copper and and um, you know lumber, you know, and so they didn't want other people to know about this country, so they kept it secret and they made up stories about. Um, uh, uh, sea monsters, and you know, at the horizon was the end of the world. You know, and if you dry, if if you, you know, take your ship over there, then what would happen is you would, you know, go off the off the um, off the rim right, there. You right. know, and so they they put all these scare tactics out there. You know, of, of you know, just kind of like what they do today. You know, put the fear in God. You know, of these people to travel to North America, so they pretty much had North America to themselves for a long time. But they also made maps, you know, and eventually as the Phoenicians died out and, you know, new civilizations, you know, kind of took over, some of these people found those old maps. And one of the people that found the old maps was Columbus. Because with Columbus, remember the old nursery rhyme, um, what was it, in 1492? Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Columbus sailed the ocean blue, right? And that's what we were taught in school. But they never told us that there was a third line to that, and um, to that uh, that, uh, little uh, story. So what it really says is, 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue to see if the old maps were true. Ah, fascinating. There you go. We're learning stuff right here. Yeah. We're almost out of time, uh, Mary, but I did want to ask you this. Um, I had uh, Dr. Melba Ketchum on the the program a couple of weeks ago talking about the Sasquatch Genome Project, and I'm wondering whether, do you think... Um, that Sasquatch may be remnants of this ancient uh, race of red-haired giants? Well, I think, well, uh, from my work, my research, I have found that we can trace Bigfoot right back to the epics of Gilgamesh Hmm. and Enkidu. Are you familiar with that? Certainly familiar with Gilgamesh, not so much Enkidu. Yeah, because Gilgamesh was a giant, you know, a ruler, you mm-hmm. know, in, um, during the days of the, the Sumerians. And right. anyhow, uh, as the story goes, he, he was lonesome and he needed a companion to match his size. And so the goddess went to the forest and found the, hair, the giant hairy beast that they called Enkidu. And his job was always to watch over the forest and over nature. But the goddess talked Enkidu into leaving the, his world of nature, the forest, and to join up with uh, Gilgamesh. And then, of course, the, the whole epic of Gilgamesh is about him, and Gilgamesh, and Enkidu and their, their battles that they, they fought, you know, taking over lands and that. And one, time, one day they lost the bat, a, a certain battle. I can't remember which one it was. But anyhow, um, Enkidu, anyhow, they, uh, the gods came to, pun- or the god, god punished Gilgamesh and Enkidu. But, and uh, Enkidu's pu- pu- um, his punishment was to be sent into inner earth. Hmm. 
you know. Sounds like and the story Enki of Adam Duce, and Eve, doesn't it? Sounds and like Enki Du said that he would never have anything to do with man again. And by the the description in uh, the Epic of Gilgamesh, that is Bigfoot. So I think that Bigfoot was a humanoid type of person, you know, like Gilgamesh, except, you know, he looked, where Gilgamesh looked like a giant human, he looked like a, you know, giant ape or hairy beast, you know, but Mm -hmm. was human. And they evolved together, you know, but they went separate ways. And remnants of Enkidu, you know, and his people still exist today. And as Enkidu had stated, they will never, you know, uh, you know, coexist, you know, or work with man again. Hence, they, and that's what they do. They, right. They, Very they, elusive. They find yeah. them, and uh, but they don't have anything to do with man. Mary Sutherland, a real pleasure speaking with you tonight. Thank you for this. Oh, you're welcome. And we should Thank mention, you for having me on your show. We should mention again, you'll be appearing at uh, Chicago's Dark Shores Ghost Con October 2015. And uh, the website again is burlingtonnews.net. We'll do it again sometime. Thank you. Yeah, and uh, be sure everybody to purchase my book, The Red-Haired Giants. You can find it on Amazon. Indeed. Thank you so much, Mary. Well, thank you for having me. All right. Bye. Good night. There she goes, Mary Sutherland. All right. My website is richardserrett.com. Let me spell the last name for you. S as in Simon. Y, because I love you. R-E. T as in Tom. T as in Tom. richardserrett.com. That's your portal to the conspiracy show. Hey, say hello on Twitter at Richard Serrett. And as always, follow the truth. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. My name is Richard Serrett, and this is indeed The Conspiracy Show. Congratulations, you found us. Come on inside and uh, sit a spell. You are among friends. I'm so thankful for your company. Uh, And uh, we have a a new addition to the program. Our new engineer, our new technical producer, Ian Robertson. Welcome aboard. You are my, I I believe you are my fifth uh, technical producer, so... Uh, You've got big shoes to fill. Tim Spreen was a good one, and we wished him well, of course. And as always, Albert Vinzel, our story producer, is here, and he has posted his usual assortment of fascinating stories and tidbits in the slide carousel up on the website richardserrett.com. So get on up there, and while you're there, click on that blue member button on the left-hand side and register. Become a member. It's easy. It's free. And uh, it's very fast. Once you're a member, you gain access to member area uh, only areas like the past show audio archive, which goes uh, all the way back as far as the summer of 2012. Uh, again, that's the website richardserrett.com. Uh, and speaking of the summer, where has it gone? I tell you. I hope wherever you are, you are enjoying yours. I know we are uh, spending a lot of evenings at the beach at uh, Bluffers Park Beach, just uh, east of here in Toronto, uh, on Lake Ontario. Beautiful. We go just as the sun is going down. It's cool. It's not crowded. We have a nice little bonfire, roast some weenies. It's just been idyllic, I have to tell you, enjoying the summer with uh, the twins and the mighty Aphrodite. Uh, It's been a while since our next guest has been with us, and we are delighted to have him back. Uh, He was a regular contributor on the program for quite a while, and then he got busy with other things, but he has set aside an hour to sit down with us tonight uh, and talk biblical prophecy. Our good old friend, uh, media scientist Nelson Thal is here, and you may not be aware, uh, but he is a Bible scholar, and we're very excited to have him with us again. Hey, Nelson, how are you, my friend? 
Excellent, Richard. It's great being here again. It's been a while. Yes. Listen, you, uh, as I mentioned in the introduction, are a, um, I consider you to be a Bible scholar. Uh, yep. I learned so much uh, um, listening to you when we, we chat off the air and when we had dinner and so forth. We had dinner tonight. Uh, very knowledgeable in this area where we have you on the program often to talk about assassinations and, and uh, uh, you're in, in your capacity as a media scientist and, and, and so forth. But um, tonight we are going to delve into biblical prophecy. And 2017, uh, according to many Bible researchers, uh, it could be lights out. This could be the big one, right? This could be end times fulfilled, 2017. What is your research and your um, your um, investigations into Bible prophecy tell you? Well, of course, the interesting thing is that um, there's uh, the preface, the preface to our remarks, and the prerequisite is we're saying that the Bible is from Genesis to Revelation is the Word of God, and uh, and this is a book written for men by God, and all the other books are written by men. So I think that's first of all a prerequisite to understand that. I mean, people have to accept the Bible as the Word of God to begin with. All right. So that's a prerequisite to our discussion. Now, given that this, you go into the Bible, and if you take a look at Genesis 5 and 7, there's all the necessary data and information that you can determine the number of years from creation week right through to today. In other words, from Genesis, the clock is ticking, mankind is given an allotted time. And what is the allotted time? Right, 6,000 years, a thousand years, a day for each thousand years, and a thousand years for a day. It says we get 6,000 years right there in Genesis. Basically in the Bible. Genesis, in the, it's, it's, it's not in any one place. It's here a little, as it says, and there a little. All right. So you have to put it together, but it's all there. Okay, so 6,000 years. Six, six days of the week, and then 1,000 years, a millennium, a rest day, just as the, we have a six-day work week, and then we're off for a day. Right, okay. So, so how do we – when do we start the counter? When do well, we start the 6,000 years? Well, the 6,000 years starts when man was given free reign to do his own thing, which was the day he was put out of the garden. All right. And that was 3,983 B.C. How do we know that precisely? Nelson? Well, we know that because from Genesis 5 and 7, all the ge- – Genesis from Adam – Right through eventually, not only Genesis 5, Genesis 7, but also with Matthew, we have all the, uh, the uh, family line. The, the genealogy. The genealogy. Right. From Adam right through to Christ. Okay. And we okay. know that he lived approximately 2,000 years ago. So if you add up, you know, Methuselah was X number of years old, Noah was X number of years old. If we add up the genealogies right. up to the time of Christ plus 2,000 years, we arrive at... We're, we know that 3,983 years B.C. was the creation, and so 6,000 years is up in 2017. Uh, Christ was born, by the way, Saturday, September the 20th, 4 B.C., and he was resurrected Saturday, April 28th, 31 A.D. And these dates are not difficult to calculate from knowledge of the Bible. Now, uh, so we've got 2017 coming up. As the 6,000-year point, man is given 6,000 years by the creator to do his own thing, to try and rule 
the planet according to the laws that uh, that the Lord laid down for him to follow, which, of course, he's rejected. So it's interesting. Do you think? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My word. Yeah. After the, uh, out of 6,000 years, I mean, there's never any peace. There's just a period of rearmament of about 230 years, by the way, the, the calculations show. So out of 6,000 years, there's very little time when man's been had, had true peace. Right, right. So we've got the, 20, the 6,000 years are going to be allotted. So up until 2017, there, uh, there's going to be no second coming up until that date because that would interfere with God's plan. He's allowed allotted 6,000 years. But, but before we get from here right. to Armageddon or the, you know, the end times – right. We have to go through Jacob's troubles, right? Yeah. Which is what, six years? Well, it's not necessarily detailed. We're not told necessarily how long Jacob's trouble is because in many ways the birthright blessing gets withdrawn from Jacob and we see that slowly happening because uh, – Yeah, but we should – let's say it's five years or three years. We should be well into Jacob's troubles then, right? Yes, we should be. The sorrows. Uh, well, before the beginning of Soros, I mean, World War I, remember, uh, the creator says that he is going to use Assyria as his rod to discipline his, his children. And so uh, World War I, Assyria rose up against Jacob, and they, that didn't wake them up. They didn't change their behavior. Now, you need to clarify. When you're talking about we have the Assyrians. Assyria, modern-day Assyria is Germany. How do you make that connection? Well, that's not a difficult connection to make uh, if you do the research and look at the details and analyze where these people migrated over time and you study the oral culture and you study the archaeology and you – I mean if you go to the Pergamon Museum in in Berlin and look at uh, uh, the Ishtar Gates which were moved from Babylon to Germany and you look at them, it's not difficult using a number of very good litmus tests and see that modern-day Germany are the original Assyrians of the Assyrian Empire, which headquarters was in Nineveh. And you recall in the Bible, it was Jonah who was sent to Nineveh right. to uh, wake them up to their impending doom should they not change their their behavior and the way they live. And the Assyrians, uh, the, the Assyrians were the ones that... that uh, uh, that took the uh, the uh, the took tribes Israel, the tribes into captivity. The house of Israel into captivity. That's right. That's right. In seven twenty two to seven eighteen, roughly BC. These are the original Assyrians. These are the original. These are the original from Germans the, from the the crescent fert- the fertile crescent. Exactly. Uh, modern day yeah, Iraq. Exactly. Later Babylon. Yeah. Babylon and so forth. Yeah. Okay. All and, right. So so, so in twenty seventeen, Nelson Thal is uh, here with us, media scientist. Uh, so in 2017, what is supposed to happen then? Are we talking about the second coming or are we talking about the beginning of the, the, the end times? Well, remember, first of all, um, uh, the creator in the Bible makes it clear that he does nothing without telling his servants, the prophets, about what he is going to do. But he doesn't give definite dates. But we do know that 2017 – is the 6,000-year point right. and that promises were made to mankind, to Adam, to give them a period of time. So obviously – now even though uh, in, the, in the New Testament says, except those days be shortened, there shall no flesh be saved alive, 
uh, still we believe, scholars believe that the 2017, the full 6,000 years will be given to mankind. But once the 6,000 years is up, you're going to have a period of time leading up to the Great Tribulation and to the Day of the Lord. The Great Tribulation is two and a half years. The Day of the Lord is one year. The whole thing is three and a half years. And of course, what you watch for is the fall of Satan, where Christ said he saw Satan fall like lightning. So after 2017, you want to watch for the fall of Satan because Satan mounts his last attack on heaven, is thrown down like lightning, and it comes down and is now prisoner on the earth and goes after as many human beings as he possibly can. Well, where in this timeline do we see the ascendance of the Antichrist? Well, these, these, exactly. Well, let's go through the, what you'll have is you'll have the, the fall of, the literally uh, fall of Satan to the earth. And Daniel makes it clear that from the fall of Satan to the second coming is 1,335 days. Okay? In Daniel 11. So from, so there's 1,335 days from the fall of, of, of Satan to the earth. Uh, at 1260 days, you have the beginning of the Great Tribulation. So there's from 1335 to 1260, uh, roughly 75 years, where 75 days, right. where you will have persecution of the saints and of all Christians. This is a, we're coming up on a break. Um, you said something there that that um, sort of threw me or has thrown me into some confusion uh, because you said that Satan will be thrown out of, of heaven. Yeah. But my understanding was that already happened a long time ago and that we are told that, you know, the world is ruled by Satan. We've been living under Satan's rule. So now all of a sudden you're telling me that this is yet to happen in the future. Let, let's, uh, let's come back and pick up on that point. Uh, let's straighten that out because Nelson, I'm confused about that. And then we'll uh, continue to talk about uh, uh, geopolitics through the uh, the filter of the Bible. Nelson Thal, my guest, right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. And we are back with Nelson Thal, media scientist and the uh, archivist for the late Marshall McLuhan, communications guru. And we're talking uh, geopolitics uh, through the the filter, if you will, of uh, of Scripture, the Bible, biblical prophecy. So, uh, explain something to me. You mentioned that we need one of the signs is we need to look uh, for Satan being thrown out of heaven like lightning. Now, again, my understanding is as limited as it is that that this happened in the past. That Satan was cast out, you know, ages ago, uh, and that uh, the world is being run. Uh, by the Prince of Darkness. Now you're telling me that this event is is to happen in the future. So, Nelson, you've got some explaining to do. Okay. Well, exactly what originally happened was this, that um, uh, Lucifer covered the very throne of heaven with his wings. And uh, when iniquity was found in him, he was removed from the throne, removed from the throne room, but uh, not cast down as a as a uh, a prisoner in, in on the earth. As a matter of fact, if you look in the book of Job, he regularly came with other angels and had an audience with the Lord. So when he was removed from covering the very throne of God, that's when all the material universe that he had created went dark and went into a state of death. 
And that is that that is what we see today when we look out at the universe. If you take a look at Genesis 1.1, it says, in the beginning, the he- was, God created the heavens and the earth. Right. Right? So in other words, Satan was uh, initially... Uh, just removed from the lost throne favor room. with God. Lost it was no favor. longer his favorite av- advisor. And could will. not just come for an audience whenever he chose. He had to wait till he was summoned. All right. Okay. Uh, at the end time, when he mounts a final attack on heaven, that's when he'll be thrown down to the earth, cast to the earth, and the earth will become his prison. Now, it's important to realize that Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then Genesis 1.2 says, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. Now, what it doesn't, the Bible, when God creates things, he doesn't create things with void and darkness. So why is it void and dark in Genesis 1-2? Well, what's happened here is this is the Genesis is the is the story of the recreation of the earth after Satan's fall ah, off okay. the throne. All right. That's why in verse 2 it says the earth was without form and void, because that's what happened to it after the monumental mega battle between God and Satan when Satan was thrown off the throne. Ah, okay. So this is not the creation chapter as it's thought of because the earth, if it's without form and void, God doesn't create anything that's that's darkness. He's light and form and... and, All right. We're up to speed on that. Right. So now... um, The tribulation. So now... Yeah, the tribulation. Now, the Great Tribulation is a two-and-a-half-year period. It's two-and-a-half. All right. Yes. The Great Tribulation uh, begins uh, with the fifth seal. You have the first four seals of the book. Remember, in the book of Revelation, there's a scroll, and whoever can open the scroll can end man's rule over – misrule over the planet. And there's silence in heaven because no one can be found. There's tears in heaven. No one can be found to un, to open the seals. Finally, the Lamb of God, which is Jesus Christ, right. comes forward and is is found worthy to take the scroll and open it up. And he can open it up. And the first four seals are the white horse, red horse, black horse, pale horse. That's the first, the horsemen of the of the revelation. Then the fifth seal is the martyrdom of the saints and the great tribulations. Now, in time, that would happen sometime after Satan's fall, and with 12, when he's cast down, when he's cast down right. to the earth. Okay. Now, and uh, the the rise of the antichrist. That's the rise occurring. of the antichrist would then come at some point. Uh, Probably prior to that, it, it once again I have to say probably because once again the Bible is silent on doesn't go into every single thing, you know. Otherwise, you know, if the master of the house told the servant when he was going to return, he would just sit around and do nothing up until a few days beforehand, and then all of a sudden he would do all the work that was required. Right. 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 So. Okay, so let's let's look at uh, geopolitically what's going on, right. and 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 yep. see if there are any hints in the Bible uh, about this. Let's look, for example, at uh, uh, ISIS uh, and the the reemergence of the Caliphate uh, in the Middle East. Is there anything uh, in the Bible uh, that would um, you know prophesy that 
that occurrence. Yes. Uh, uh, the rise of an aggressive fundamentalist Islamic power is prophesied in the Bible. At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, which is a power located north of the king of the south. And in, in, in the Bible, directions are all from Jerusalem. So south means south of Jerusalem. Right. North means north of Jerusalem. So um, – and if it's if it comes out of the north, north of Jerusalem, uh, it, it, before the Isles, before you get to the Isles, you're looking at Germany. So Bible scholars recognize that the king of the north is the United Europe, the resurrected Holy Roman Empire. The king of the south is a, a caliphate. Uh, presently, the whole Islamic world in the Middle East, North Africa is being enveloped by, as we know, a wave of an resurgent Islamic fundamentalism. And um, what will come out is prophesied the king of the south is a final leader over these reinvigorated Muslim nations and he'll be a tremendously power, powerful religio-political false messiah or Mahdi. All right. And then the king of the north would be presumably what? Someone like a Merkel or a Habsburg probably is what Bible students and Bible scholars and leaders of the true church suggest it will be a uh, – probably somebody who has been – family was there before like a Habsburg. So not necessarily an elected official like a, a, oh, it, a Merkel. It will be one of the old families. It'll be – even though he may run into politics, but it'll be a very powerful leader like Hitler, a very, very mag – a man who can move the crowds because when these uh, demon spirits go into these men and work with them, they're able to manipulate and sway the millions and, and like we saw with Hitler and Wait, the crowds. Are you saying that there will be a king of the north and a king of the south and both will be antichrists? No, they won't be antichrists. They just will be two separate kings and the king of the south will push at the king of the north and the king of the north will overflow and defeat the king of the south and they occupy the holy land. So this is what's going on geopolitically at the time of the emergence of the antichrist. Exactly. All right. Exactly. Now, now – uh, what then, what then would you make of, for example, uh, uh, what some see as the ag aggressive tendencies of, of Vladimir Putin and uh, uh, Russia? Uh, Gog and Magog in Ezekiel 38 attack, if you look at, the, at, the, at it, and they come against unwalled villages and a people at peace. That attack of that 200-man army of Gog and Magog comes in the latter times of the millennium. Okay. And, so and Gog and Magog are what? Two villages? Gog, no. Gog and Magog are Russia. Uh, basically, Gog and Magog are Russia, China. All right. And they're going to – They're going to mount an attack on uh, the kingdom of God is headquartered in Jerusalem during the millennium. Not quite sure the date, but it says in the latter time. Not the end times, not the end time which is before the return of Christ, but in the latter times of the millennium. Right, and we're not there yet. Yeah, because that's all you – know. Because that, that is getting – that is inching very close towards the final battle of Armageddon, is it not? Well, Armageddon is, comes at, at Christ's coming. Right, right. right. 
at, at his coming. So uh, Christ comes Christ comes with the seventh seal. We talked about the, the, the fifth seal, Revelation 6, 9 to 11, is the martyrdom and great tribulation. Then there's the heavenly signs, Revelation 6, verse 12 to 17, and then the seventh trumpet, the seventh seal, sorry, not the seventh trumpet, I take that back, the seventh seal, which is made up of the seven trumpets, and the seventh trumpet is the second coming. All right. So there's the seven trumpets as part of the seventh seal. The last trumpet is the second – ushers in the second coming of Christ. And then the seventh trumpet with his coming, then he brings in the seven last plagues, which uh, Revelation 16 – and you can look Revelation 16 verses right through from 2 to 21 is, is – and that's all administered on Christ's enemies by Christ at his second coming. Now – Here's an interesting uh, point. Someone that someone raised this at a conference I was at recently, yeah. uh, and and he was arguing that, I mean, I know that in the Bible there are uh, you know prophecies about you know the end times and when to look for them, uh, signs in the sky and so forth, and wars and rumors of war. Yeah, uh, and and people tend to think that we're living in a very violent age, but if you actually look at the number of of armed conflicts in the world. Uh, which really peaked around in the 1970s towards the near the end of the well it was still in the midst of the cold war uh but but in many respects um we're we're living in relative peace right now yeah I, uh, there there's it's we're, very quiet we're, it is I rel- mean ISIS aside and and the Ukraine Russian conflict absolutely i mean the, the, certainly none of the major uh deaths are are uh, have, we're just getting the early, distant, early, very, very distant, early warnings of this, which is about to come. We're in the beginning of the beginning of sorrows. Okay. Now, what else is happening uh, geopolitically uh, that you'd like to comment on that that uh, sort of squares up or lines up with biblical prophecy? Well, we talked about ISIS and the, the emergence of a caliphate. We talked about Putin. What else? Let me just go through and rattle off these 14 signs from a great book written by a man by the name of Dr. Roderick Meredith. But the first is wars and violence and lawlessness. The second is drought and famine. Now, we're starting to see a lot of drought and in the United States. Floods and, and uh, drought and fires. The third is earthquakes and other natural catastrophes. And we're seeing that regularly if you follow uh, Suspicious Observers is a great site, by the way. Then we're going to have disease epidemics is one of the – is the pale horse. The rise of an aggressive fundamentalist uh, power, we right. mentioned. The sixth is an ascendant European Union seeks global primacy. And that's – we're just starting to see the early stages as the vacuum left by the United States as it uh, – as its – power is taken away as a result of Jacob's trouble. That vacuum, now the Germans are starting to say they need to arm up and have an army, the Japanese also, right? Well, we are coming up onto another break, but to that point about the uh, the emergence of uh, perhaps the re-emergence of the Holy Roman Empire, as some have suggested, if you look at what's happening right now, uh, some might argue quite the opposite is happening in Europe with, with Greece. 
uh, and that and the, the 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 negotiations that went on there and rumors of a Brexit and it would seem even I think to a casual observer right now that the European Union is really on the on the precipice that it could go either way it could totally collapse. Yeah, the view the answer to that is this that the European Union is just a a, a manifestation on the surface right now of the member it's member it all goes down to the ten toes made of miry clay and iron Nebuchadnezzar's dream the last kingdom the resurrected would be made up of iron and miry clay so it wouldn't be totally strong it would be a little bit as strong as iron but iron and miry clay don't mix so it greece is like the miry clay. <laughs> All right, I'm Germany sure the mighty Aphrodite. The, iron. the mighty Aphrodite would be interested to know that Greece is the miry clay. All right, we will come back. Nelson Thal is uh, here with us. We are talking Jacob's troubles uh, and uh, the end times biblical prophecy on the conspiracy show. Don't go away. We are back with media scientist Nelson Thal. It's been a while, but he's back for the full hour, and we're delighted to have him. This is fascinating uh, stuff, Nelson. I, I always love uh, delving into the Bible uh, with you and and uh, looking at the headlines through this biblical filter. All right, so we were talking briefly uh, before the break about uh, the European Union and, and how that might fit into um, end time. So it, it's going to have to... That situation is going to have to resolve it, uh, itself one way or the other. And what what do the researchers suggest will happen? That uh, the the European Union uh, will emerge triumphant despite the situation in Greece. Are these the ten kings that are uh, uh, talked about in, in the Bible? Absolutely, these are the ten kings as as. Uh in the book of Daniel, he interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream. He was the he was the Hitler of his day. He was the world emperor of his day. And he had a dream. The creator, God, gave him a dream. And the dream was to show him what would happen right down to the coming of Christ from Babylon through Persia, Greek, Greco-Macedonia, each part of this statue that Nebuchadnezzar saw, the head was of gold, the chest of silver, the belly of brass, the legs of iron, with the two legs, the uh, the two sides, the Eastern Roman Empire and the Western are the two legs going down to the feet of iron and miry clay. What I'd say is when you're trying to watch for it day by day, we're not going to see it day by day because when you just like when the roman empire fell it didn't fall literally overnight it took time for the system to just deteriorate in running the tape backwards and in building this it's going to take a while for the building blocks to come together and there it's like a rubik's cube one's going to come in and then the it'll go out and in and out and as this thing goes through a metamorphosis uh, it, it it's going to eventually coagulate uh, I'd say, just remember in Terminator when the <laughs> right, right. when when the liquid robot slowly comes back together yes, yes, yes. and rises out of the puddle. Right. I think that's the same sort of thing. You can't really tell until at the end. You'll see, oh my, it's come together and it's visible. But if you look what's going on in Europe today, and you look at the EU, and you look at all the different regulations, and and remember, there is the Berlin Committee. Uh, which is a ten nations form an executive committee now of the EU. So there's 21, but they're all controlled by 10. 
Hmm. Some might say controlled by one. It's called the Berlin Executive. Yeah, controlled by one. What? What? Uh, let Let's see if we can make any sense uh, of some of these huge trading blocks that are forming. Uh, I mean, the European Union is certainly one, but we also have the Trans-Pacific Partnership, and we have, of course, you know, North American Union, and, and uh, rumors that that's going to be even further entrenched. This North American Union. Uh, what what uh, does the Bible have to say about about that? Well, it says in Revelation 18, it says, For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. So you have here a great religio-political trading system known as Babylon the Great, which starts the, this modern Babylon is now in the process of forming in Europe. It will be a very sophisticated, wealthy system that will soon dominate most of Europe, yet it will be heavily in, influenced, of course, by Satan. Okay. Um, but I want, we want to get around to yep. North America as well. What, well, we, we just got about a minute. Well, North America, Jeremiah says, alas, for that day is great so that none is like it. And it is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. Uh, basically, Jacob's trouble is where uh, the God uses his rod of iron, Assyria, to discipline his children because of Sabbath-breaking and idolatry. And so these people, once again, are going to be going into captivity. What did that mean? It means Beverly's house, Hills housewives will become Cairo cleaning ladies. <laughs> It's going to be rough, Rich. It's going to be rough for them. And the book of Ezekiel shows that a third third are burned up in the nuclear war. A third fall by the sword. And another third go into captivity. And of uh, of the entire Jacob's house... Only less than 10% are left alive. So remember, Jacob's house is Britain, America, France, Northeastern Europe, Australia. So you add up the population, if it comes to uh, 450 or 500 million, means that less than 50 million will be left alive all right, we're of them take, all when it's done. So we are in, unfortunately, for some very, very big headaches and deaths. Okay, we'll uh, take a time out, come back with Nelson Thal. I want to find out uh, about... The um, you know why North America and uh, and parts of Europe and so forth are considered parts of the uh, the lost tribes. We'll do that. Nelson Thal talking biblical prophecy on the conspiracy show. Stay with us. All right, uh, you said something very interesting before the break, Nelson. You always say something interesting, but uh, you uh, you you really tweaked my interest when you talked about the um, uh, Jacob's troubles and uh, what's going to happen to North America. Uh, and that that God will use the Assyrians again, as He did in the Old Testament, against God's uh, people. So, why do you connect that to North America? Okay. Well, basically, um, uh, the uh, descendants of Abraham. Abraham was prepared to sacrifice his son, his son Isaac. For the Lord, and as a result, was given great promises. God promised that He would use this one man. Remember, of all the people on the earth at that time, you're dealing now with just one man, Abraham. Mm-hmm. And He was promised that His descendants would become as numerous as the sand of the sea and the stars in the sky, and they would control the gates of the world, that they would um, have a world ruling empire, and the sun would never set on their land. Now that didn't that that wasn't fulfilled by the Jews. 
The Jews aren't numbered more than the sands of the sea. No. The Jews didn't con- control the gates of the world. Uh, the Jews didn't become uh, – have such a large empire that the sun never set, set on their empire. Uh, they, they, it, 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 they, all they have is, is the present-day modern-day Israel. But if you take a look at uh, – if you take a look at Joseph's descendants and the Bible makes it clear that the name Israel was passed on to Joseph and his descendants who aren't Jews. Remember, Judah was Joseph's brother. Right. So the descendants of Judah, the blood descendants of Judah are known as Jews. Right. But the blood descendants of Reuben, Judah's brother, aren't Jews. They're Reubenites. Right. And Reuben today – the Reubenites went across Europe from the time of 721 BC and eventually settled and went right across Europe and eventually became northern France and France became the descendant of the Reuben Empire. They're, that's the tribe of Reuben. The tribe of Dan is not difficult to find. They went across through the ocean and the sea routes and the river routes and they left their name on the, the Danube and you've got the Denmark, Danmark, right? Now, uh, the, the descendants of of Joseph, Ephraim, and Manasseh, they begot, they got the bulk of the blessing, the birthright blessing, and so they created a union of their brothers, and that became the Union Jack. That's the flag. Uh-huh. The name Israel was given to Ephraim, which means aristocrat, and he settled in the Isles in in the coastlands. The British and Isles. The British Isles. So the Union Jack, the Jack is, is for the, Jacob. Is the union of Jacob's brothers. That's right, Union Jack. And a matter of fact, if you want to go even deeper for a minute, if you look in the Bible, you'll see that when Jacob blessed his grandchildren, Ephraim and Manasseh, Ephraim was the younger and Manasseh was the older. And he didn't put his right hand on the older Manasseh as he was supposed to. He crossed his hands and his right hand went on the head of Ephraim and he said, and it, it, Joseph tried to correct his father, Jacob, and say, no, father, you don't cross your hands. This one is the older. And he said, I know my son. I know Manasseh's older. He will be a great nation, but his brother will be greater than he. So Ephraim is Britain, and Manasseh is the United States. And if you look at the, the English flag, you get the cross, uh-huh. which, is how, which is how Jacob crossed his hands. Oh, this is good stuff. The Union Jack, the Union of Jacob. So these see, this is secret information that just the queen knows and those around the British crown. And as typical, it's right out there under everybody's nose in every Bible, but nobody really – takes the time to study into it. And you told me once, Nelson, that I believe it was you, I'm sure it was you, <laughs> uh, that uh, when we talk about uh, America and we talk about Yankees. Okay, let's go into that. Yes. Yes. That's, so, a, that's, a, so, that's a, a Hebrew word, is it not? It's a Yiddish word. A Yiddish word. Exactly. And it's the, it's the Yiddish word for Jacob, is Yankel. 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 And they're the, they're the children of Jacob via Joseph. So when the Bible is talking about Israel, yes. it's talking about all the nations of the world. Not well, all no, of them. no, Not all no, of them, no. There are seventy the, nations, but it's only talking about went. the lost ten tribes. And of course, look, uh, three tribes. Well, there were twelve tribes. The two tribes of Judah and Benjamin made up the 
country called Judah right. in the, the house of Judah. They split the, the whole country, which was called Israel, with 12 tribes split into two different countries. Right. Judah to the south with the capital Jer- Jerusalem right. with the two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. The other 10 tribes in the north formed the Israel, the nation Israel with its headquarters, its headquarters, its capital at Samaria. Right. They're the ones that first went into captivity in 722 BC when the Assyrians invaded and took them out of that land. Right. They then went across. For instance, you take a look. Now, for instance, remember Abraham's great grandfather was known as Eber, Heber. That's where the word Hebrew comes from. Right. Okay. Now, the, the word Iberia in Spain, the Hebrews, the Israelites brought the name Hebrew and became Iberia on their way to the Isles. They left. They stayed for a few hundred years in Spain. Then they moved up to Scotland where they – and you have the Hebrides. Ah. So Hebrew again. And, of course, you've got um, – you've got the, uh, British means covenant man, Yankle, uh, Yankel, Yankees. Right. Uh, uh, that's where we, they get – America gets the name the Yankees. So Canada is, is part – Is part Ephraim. Part Ephraim. And, uh, part Ephraim and Quebec is mostly Reuben and Simeon. Okay. All right. So this partnership now that we have uh, rumors of a North American union would make sense from a biblical standpoint because, because the two brothers Manasseh, Ephraim and Manasseh are brothers. They're going to get together as they as their foreign outside enemies get stronger. Two brothers who used to separate themselves, you know as well as I do, what happens in a, what happens in any skirmish? What happens in in any skirmish where you have two individual brothers if their enemies come Come out they come together. They come together. And so you're – so the odds are is that – now, the Bible doesn't really go into what will happen in North America culturally. But when you think about it and extend it, you realize tribal people don't react differently regardless of the tribe. When they're being threatened, the thugs of the tribe rise to the top usually, not the intellectuals. It's the thugs within the tribe rise to the top mm. and they get together and form – some sort of a protection. So instead of the security fences going around the 49th parallel to the north and south, they're going to change the security fences and go around the whole perimeter of the coast of North America as in order to become more powerful and stronger because who needs to guard the 49th parallel? We're brothers. We're getting – let's use that energy and resources to put around the entire continent, which turns the continent into an island. And so it's vote so-and-so off the island and the whole island mentality has gripped North America. Just look at the TV shows and the Survivor series, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and um, so – you mentioned that here in North America, uh, we are in for a rough ride because, well, we are part of the the, uh, the lost tribes yeah. uh, of Israel, and yeah. we are going to be disciplined by the uh, the iron rod of the modern day Assyrians, exactly. which would tend to suggest what another war with Germany. Absolutely, and it may not be an actual hardware gunpowder war. It may just be a. It just may be an economic warfare. A trade war. A trade a currency war. war. It could be a currency war. I mean if the if they were to somehow influence the Chinese to to put up all the US bond, treasury bonds for sale, I mean the we could I think I don't think it's gonna be military. I think it's gonna be economic. I think you'll eventually see uh the United States dollar severely tank. Severely tank. Well, Everybody that I follow uh, 
in terms of um, you know economics is is pointing that way, although the U.S. dollar is soaring pretty well right now. However, uh, it, it it there is some suggestion that the, the the Germans and the Chinese are getting together on a, a number of different ventures, building ro- railroads uh, deep into Europe, um, and and also I think the Germans and the Russians. Uh, have a great deal in common, and the Germans are quite resentful about these economic sanctions that the West, uh, the North Americans, are trying to put on Russia because it's hurting Germany. It's hurting Europe. Um, If you take a look at Psalm 83, there's a great uh, press release in advance. All right. It's now talking about the enemies of the House of Israel, the enemies of America. And how they make a tumult. They have taken crafty counsel against your people and consulted together against your sheltered ones. They have said, come and let us cut them off from being a nation that the name of Israel be remembered no more. Now, remember, when it uses the word Israel here, it doesn't mean the country today of Israel. Right. It means the house of Israel, which is Britain and America primarily, as well as Northwestern Europe. Remember, let's just briefly point out that uh, Finland, uh, Finland, for instance, let's just take F- Francis Rubin. Finland is Issachar. How do we know that? Well, how do we know that? Um, uh, in order to in order to c- uh, condense a complex study into uh, just a few flashing insights, uh, we know that basically from a number of factors. First of all, now we know uh, from DNA records. Okay. Uh, For instance, uh, I've been able to trace myself to uh, the tribe of Levi and specifically uh, uh, the House of Aaron through the markers that are seen in the DNA. Okay. Likewise, the French now, they can tell with their Reuben. But not just before there was the science, there was the language. Yes. There was the archaeology. There was the the oral culture. Yeah, state symbols. Symbols. Right. If you look at the symbols of the nations of, of Europe, especially Norway, uh, Finland, Sweden, I mean Britain, England, etc., uh, Netherlands, uh, the Dutch, you can see all of that there within their within their flags and within their oral culture, etc. So there's there's lots of proof uh, as to where these tribes went. We're just about out of time. We've yeah. got a, less than two minutes, Nelson. Uh, the recent uh, 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 negotiations, the deal, the uh, the nuclear arms deal with Iran. Um, what anything there that might be may have been prophesied in the Bible. Well, we do know that basically there's going to be a time of war such as never was, no, nor ever has ever been, uh, nor ever will be. And obviously, uh, we're going to have uh, a tremendous amount of atomic and nuclear warfare. I separate the two because there's fission bombs. We don't hear about them. Fission bombs are bombs that don't take out a whole country, etc. But there's neutron bombs, fission bombs that take out a city. So, I mean, um, they want to be able to take out these cities and, and leave it so that they can move in after the people are done. Nelson, we'll have to this has been a, this. Uh, a remarkable hour. Listen, I can't thank you enough for coming in. Thank you so much. 
Nelson Thal. All right, uh, back next week with a brand new program. Hope you'll be along for the ride. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.